0: Since James O'Keefe's Project Veritas revealed a video showing that ABC News spiked the Jeffrey Epstein story three years ago, ABC News has issued a statement in its own defense. The statement was released by an ABC executive wearing a raincoat and nothing else, and was delivered to several female members of the press when he opened the raincoat to reveal that he was holding the statement in his hand and didn't need to open the raincoat, but just thought the ladies would get a kick out of seeing the very special thing he was hiding inside. The statement reads, quote, "...we at ABC News are committed to the highest level of journalism we can achieve without exposing Democrats who rape little girls." In this case, any serious student of journalism will understand that this story came to us while Hillary Clinton was running for president, and it was far more important that we protect Bill Clinton from being exposed for statutory rape than that we protect young women from being enslaved and abused by a predator linked to every powerful man on Earth, including the royal family. Speaking of which, Duchess Kate Middleton is sporting an all-new collegiate look this winter, and we'll be leading with that story instead of this one, because after all, we're ABC News. And while it's true we may have covered up for a monster, leaving his victims to suffer at his hands while the rich and powerful use them at will for their own pleasure, it's not like we didn't report on other incidents of sexual predation. Like that time we reported how Brett Kavanaugh left a trail of murdered women wherever he spread his reign of terror, according to anonymous sources, who had even more anonymous sources living inside their heads, who also told them about the Martian invasion, which we'll be reporting on instead of this, because after all, we're ABC News. The important thing is that eventually the guilty were punished, because after all, Jeffrey Epstein didn't kill himself. Unquote. Trigger warning. I'm Andrew Clavin, and this is The Andrew Clavin Show. That and Epstein didn't kill himself. I feel hunky-dunky, life is tickety-boo. Birds are winging, also singing, hunky dunky Ship-shaped Ipsy topsy, the world is a biddy zing. It's a wonderful day. Hooray, hooray! It makes me want to sing. Oh, hurrah hooray! hooray. All right, still in Boston, leaving uh, today, and I'll be back in the studio tomorrow. Something kind of remarkable happened to me at Boston College yesterday, something actually kind of disgraceful, uh, disgraceful to Boston College at least, Uh, but it was almost kind of a parable written by God. So I'll tell you about that in a minute, but first uh, I want to tell you about the thoughts that came out of that was the major one being is that it's time for us to understand that we have to protect our women and children from the left. We have to protect our women because the left sexual values have left them open to predation on a mass scale, whether the predatory man is on the left like Harvey Weinstein, Matt Lauer. Charlie Rose, Al Gore, Lockhart Steele, Kevin Spacey, Hamilton Fish, or Michael Oreskes, or on the right, like Roger Ailes, the values that are being acted on are left-wing values that purport to liberate us and make us equal, but in fact turn women into playthings of the powerful, unprotected by any public awareness of what femininity really is. Because the left denies the worth of femininity, that's when they're not denying the very existence of women themselves so that men in skirts can beat them at every sport and complain about their periods like lunatics. We need to protect our children, too, because the left has demonstrated it is willing to castrate them, expose them to sexual immorality and abnormality, mentally brutalize them by teaching them fear for their environmental and political future, distort history in order to deprive them of their educational and patriotic heritage, all in the left's ceaseless attempt to force reality to live up to its twisted ideals. We have to protect our women and children with grassroots activism and with laws, but mostly we need to mobilize the culture on their behalf. Our academies are lost to a distorted and wicked left-wing creed. They turn our children into radical idiots who are zombie servants of the left instead of self-adults. We can't fix those schools. We have to build new ones on the order of Hillsdale College, free, independent academies dedicated to the good, the true, and the beautiful. And the arts and journalism. We can't take back the powerful leftist corporations that control them. We have to build our own. And it can't all be up to the artists and journalists. Conservative business people need to build us venues where we can profit and thrive. And while I'm all for individual choice, I think more women need to reconsider the individual choice of homemaking and child-rearing, because any idiot can be a CEO, but only one person can be your wife and mother, and it's men with wives and at-home mothers who learn to respect and cherish the opposite sex. I don't pretend to have all the answers. No one does. But these clowns who have owned our culture for 50 years have bloated up good. And it's no use complaining about it. They meant to do it. They did it on purpose. We have to replace them and build a culture of our own. And I'll tell you about what happened to me at Boston College. But first let me talk about Ring. You know, I'm really looking forward to upgrading my Ring. They've got a new uh, doorbell that uh, that is even better than the last. And it was really a good feeling to have one of these Ring doorbells, which mean if anyone comes to your door, you can talk to them at anytime from anywhere you are right on your phone rings mission is to make neighborhoods safer you might already know about these video doorbells but they also have um, the uh, the spotlight that comes on what is what are they called? motion activated floodlight cam so if so, anybody steps on your property it lights up of course people aren't supposed to be there they don't want to be seen ring helps you stay connected to your home anywhere in the world a package delivery surprise visitor you can talk to them wherever you are and as a listener you have a special offer on a ring Starter kit available right now with a video video doorbell and a motion activated floodlight cam. The starter kit has everything you need to start building a ring of security around your home. And for a limited time only now through November 8th, you can get a free solar sign with select devices. Just go to ring.com slash clavin. That's ring.com slash clavin. From now on, when anyone comes to your door, you'll be able to ask him, how do you spell Claven? And, there are no <laughs> That's, and, that, and if he says that, at least you got to give him uh, credit for carrying a tune. All right, we have the mailbag will be coming up later on in the program. But first, let me tell you about this, uh, this Boston College thing. It was it was amazing. Boston College, first of all, gave these kids, you know, these conservative kids are already under the gun. They're already having a problem. And they gave them the runaround. Boston College just they were always nice. They were always being nice. It was kind of like Nurse Ratchet, And uh, one flew over the cuckoo's nest always talking to them in soft voices. Well, meanwhile, they delayed and they delayed and they delayed. They wouldn't sign the contract. They wouldn't make it happen. So the kids didn't have enough time to actually advertise and promote my coming there. Uh, So they made it as difficult as they could. They were so petty. They wouldn't even give us a, a microphone. They wouldn't let um, they wouldn't let them invite, like everybody else does this. They're not supposed to invite people from off campus, but they wouldn't even let most people do invite people from off campus. And they made it explicit that they couldn't invite people from off campus. They just, uh, they wouldn't let them record. They wouldn't let them stream live, all of which other people do on the Boston college campus, but they, they specifically wouldn't let them, the conservatives, the Republicans do it. Then when the contract came, there was a clause in the contract saying, I couldn't criticize Boston University, which is just gutless. If you aren't going to stand up for free speech, if you're against free speech, if you're against people saying what they have to say and having new ideas and ideas that you don't like, if that's how small minded you are, own up to it, be a man, stand up and say, yeah, we don't like free speech. We only want you to hear our ideas because if you hear other ideas, you might disagree with us and then we'll be exposed as the frauds we are. So, you know, stand up and at least say what you are. So, before I get there, then, the newspaper, I think it's called The uh, Heights, uh, runs this story, Boston College Republicans to Host Speaker with History of Islamophobic Comments. And it was a genuinely cleverly crafted story, uh, to, crafted to be incendiary. It made it sound like everywhere I went, everyone was horrified uh, by my Islamophobic uh, ideas. All of the quotes, I believe, no, that's not true. Many, most of the quotes were from satire. So the things that I really satire when I talk about uh, Islam is what I really satire is the left giving Islam a privileged position of not being able to be criticized, right? Because you've heard me, you know, I love the Catholic faith. I'm not a Catholic person, but you know, I have a great respect and uh, and knowledge about the Catholic faith. But, you know, I've also sa- wondered aloud whether maybe some of their sexual attitudes uh, contributed to the scandal in the Catholic Church. I've also exact, done the same thing, wondering alouds, talking about the ideas that I worry in Islam may have contributed to the fact that Islam has been a part of every major conflict since 1978, except the Mexican drug war, which we'll be talking about later on. So, you know, I've asked all these questions. I've made jokes about Islam because I make jokes about all these things and anything that is irrational or evil to me seems to me absurd and funny. And so they they tag me as Islamophobic, which is also I mean just it's a it's a cowardly word. It is essentially uh delegitimizing any attempt to discuss the fact that Islam is at war with everybody on earth with Buddhists with Jews with other uh, Muslims and it doesn't it has nothing to do with whether there are nice Muslims or whether Islam can reform. Of course there are. Muslim people are no worse than any other people. It's just you have to question these ideas. And if you can't question ideas, why build a college in the first place? If you're not going to talk about good ideas versus bad ideas. So I go to give my speech, and this is why I say it was almost a parable. It was almost like it was a written thing. My speech was about how the left uses narrative because I'm a writer. I've made my living as a fiction writer for 30 years, and there aren't very many people who can say that, right? I mean, there are more major league baseball players than people who have made their living writing fiction. So I feel I have a certain expertise on how stories work and how people use stories. And my whole speech was about how narrative is used to, A, make you—, uh, make you let your emotions carry you away so you stop paying attention to facts and b that makes you uh, angry at the people across the aisle from you it means it means that you're so emotional you can't debate anything and uh, and th- then you get stupid because you can't listen to other people and while I'm making this speech, a virtual riot starts outside. Over a hundred people were outside. Now I was, and I want to say thank you to the God King, Jeremy Boring. He sprung for two uh, um, security guys who were absolutely great. Ben and Francis, they were absolutely terrific. But the Boston College police showed up too. About three of them were there when I arrived and they were excellent as well. I mean, they were just terrific and really on point. And when this thing started, I mean, they were pounding on the walls. They were screaming. I could see these twisted, angry faces of these essentially children uh, yelling and they were chanting all these hateful things, you know, that I was a hateful person and all this stuff, banging on the walls. I think at one point they climbed upstairs and they were pounding on the ceiling. Uh, They were the police wanted to get rid of them. Boston College would not allow them to be removed. And this is not free speech, by the way. It is not free speech to assault, essentially assault people. I'm not saying they physically assaulted anyone. I'm saying that they uh, made it impossible for us to speak, to break in and disrupt things like that. That is not free speech. That is an action and can be stopped and should be stopped. But Boston College, after giving us all this hard time, would not allow the police to remove these. So as I'm giving this speech and I'm, I'm now ta- I'm using the rioters as an example of what I'm saying. I'm saying, look, this is what I'm talking about. This is how they become uh, these people. This is what they are, are turned into by the left tactics. Uh, as I'm making this uh, speech, I can see the, the faces of the police and of my security guys uh, getting kind of serious and a little whiter than they were before. And, um, and at one point they had told me how they were going to get me out. And finally, I answered all the questions. I wasn't going to leave until I was done. I wasn't going to be chased out. I answered all the questions. And then the security guy said, look, we got to go. And at this point, I didn't know this, but when I walked outside, there were a lot of police and they surrounded me. I felt like Reagan after he was shot. They ran me uh, to the car. Uh, Look, I, I didn't come anywhere near the rioters, but there's no question if I had. They were so worked up uh, that something bad could have happened. So the police were acting there completely responsibly, doing completely the right thing. I got a police escort off the campus. And this is shameful. This is a shameful thing to do to children. It is a shameful thing to do to children, to teach them that everything they disagree with is hate. There's no such thing as Islamophobic. There's no such thing as Islamophobia. There's a lot of violence in the Islamic community. Some of it has been directed catastrophically at America. America. Some of it has been directed catastrophically at the West. There is nothing wrong with discussing the ideas. Uh, that may lead to that and discussing why this is such a problem in the Islamic world. I hold no brief, no hostility against any Islamic person. But look these are people who, who scream and yell at you. Uh, if you say a man is not a woman, if you say you know if you say any facts about reality, uh, uh, they lose their stuff because they've been taught to do this. children are not born like this. they're taught to do this in the same way I was taught to have civic, uh, civil conversations. You know, I'm watching some of this stuff. I mean, this they are being made stupid. They are, and, and these are, in a sense, privileged kids. I don't know each individual's kid's background, but I know Boston College is not a cheap uh, college. And so and only like a third, uh, the top third of Americans go to college in the first place. So they're already the elite. They, they're not oppressed. They've never been oppressed. They're not having any problems, any real problems, unless they have some personal problem that has nothing to do with politics. They have been turned into instruments, zombie instruments. Instruments of the left by people who don't want them to hear other opinions, because once they hear other opinions, they're going to realize that their Boston College, you know, professors have feet of clay and they're teaching them things that really aren't true. And once they start to hear that and once they are allowed to think, which is what my whole speech was about. So it was really like a fascinating, it was almost like God was illustrating my speech uh, while it was taking place. You know, I just want to show you a, a, a clip because this is the kind of thing I'm talking about. This is from England, but still, England is only a little bit further ahead of us uh, with with this stuff. This is, a, this is a YouTube, an Instagram star, Freddie Bentley, who announced that it's not good for people to learn about. World War II. And this became a story because November 11th is coming out. They remember we celebrate Veterans Day, but they have a memorial day for the dead, especially of World War I. And they all wear poppies. You'll see them wearing red flowers uh, on their shirts. It's actually a rather lovely remembrance because World War I was such a disaster for Europe. Uh, and anyway, this is him explaining why he shouldn't be taught about World War II, something that his, he should be so proud about in his country.
1: I find it um, very, like, obviously, it was an, a hard situation, World War Two, and I don't want anyone to think that I would, I'm being disrespectful in that way whatsoever. However, I will stand by the point that I don't think it's as educational in the way that we, you know, there's so many problems going on in the world at the moment, like Brexit that's not taught in schools, and um, climate change, which is a situation that I feel like we should be aware of. And, you know, when I left school, I felt like it hit me like a ton of bricks because I didn't know anything in general life. I felt like I was going out to the world. I've completed my GCSEs. I felt like I knew that what I was doing in life. Then all of a sudden, it hit me because I didn't know how to save for a mortgage. So I feel like right. instead of... <clears throat> um You know, focusing so much on our history and holding on to this past Mm. that we can let it go a little bit. I'm not saying get rid of it totally, but let go of it a little bit and replace it with a subject that is going to be beneficial to us in the future. Yeah, more relevant.
0: So he wants to learn life skills, but he doesn't want to he doesn't understand that the world, the life he's living, the world he lives in, the country he lives in, the issues he's facing, like Brexit all have a history, all come with ideas that have to be thought through. You don't, this is what I, This is exactly what I was telling these kids last night as these people were screaming and yelling that we don't believe these things out of, they didn't drop on us like the gentle rain from heaven. Our freedom didn't drop us on us like the gentle rain from heaven. It was built, it was built one idea at a time, one life at a time, one dead son at a time. All of those things had to be fought for and created, and that's how we got here. And if you're not thinking in line with those traditions and with those ideas, you're actually going to go off the rail. You're not making any sense at all. That's the kind of kid that is produced by an educational system that isn't doing its job. You know, yeah, learn life skills. It takes one month to learn the kind of life skills he's talking about about how to pay a mortgage or whatever you have to do. That that's a class that you can do in a single semester. But to learn your traditions and the ideas that made you who you are and major country what it is, that's an urgent skill, because if you don't know that, when they start talking about Brexit, you don't know anything, okay? And if you, you want to see people who don't know anything, College fixed at this wonderful, you remember uh, about a week ago, I guess it was, Bernie Sanders uh, had a big rally. Uh, Ilhan Omar endorsed him and said she wanted to support him because he was against uh, Western imperialism. That's that's what they're talking about. It, you know, the great Western imperialism where we go and conquer countries. I just can't remember any of the names of them, but I'm sure there's some. Uh, you know, I don't know what she's talking about, but that's what they say. So College Fix, which is a great site, went out and interviewed the kids and said, "Okay, so you want to vote for Bernie Sanders? What have the Democrats done recently?" And here's the interview.
2: Over the last three years, what's one thing the Democrats have
1: accomplished? Um. <laughs> I guess they've taken back the House, but, I mean, they're not that good at using their authority or their
3: power. Um, I felt they haven't really done much over three years, but that might have been because Trump has been in office, but over the three years there hasn't been much done, Mm -hmm. I felt at least.
1: Hmm. Um, I would say Bernie Sanders igniting this passion Mm -hmm. in people, um...
2: As far as, like, a tangible accomplishment, like a piece of legislation or a bill, uh, what are you most proud of?
1: Um,
0: um, I mean, I really liked the Green New Deal. If if it passed, I would really be psyched about that. But
1: I just really enjoy they're
3: really pushing the Green New Deals. Mm. Definitely that. <laughs>
0: I have to pause for a minute because Bernie Sanders ignited so much passion in me uh, that that I I just have to calm down a little. But you know what does ignite passion in me? RockAuto.com. RockAuto. I like just saying RockAuto. And, you know, there's just no reason when you need a a part for your car, there's no reason to go to the car parts store, have the person behind the desk who doesn't know any more than you go through the computer, when you can go to RockAuto.com and get everything you need at a great price. RockAuto.com is a family business serving auto parts customers online for 20 years you go to rockauto.com to shop for auto and body parts from hundreds of manufacturers they have everything you need From brake parts, tail lamps, motor oil, even new carpet, doesn't matter whether it's an old car or a new car, a car you drive every day, the rockauto.com catalog is unique, it's remarkably easy to navigate, and you can quickly see all the parts available to you uh, for your vehicle and choose the brand's specifications and prices you prefer. Amazing selection, reliably low prices, all the parts your car will ever need at rockauto.com. Auto.com. Go to rockauto.com right now and see all the parts available for your car and truck and write Claven in there. How did you hear about us uh, box? So they know that we sent you and how smart we are for sending you there. And of course, you'll need to know the one thing you will need to know is how to spell Claven. So you might. <laughs> I, I, th- I thought maybe I was going to get through that, but, no I, guess... <laughs> but I, guess, I guess not. You know, uh, so. Leftist stupidity is what we're talking about. And leftist stupidity can be deadly. It can be a deadly problem. Obviously, it's deadly. Obviously, it's incredibly destructive. Here is, uh, you know, the Mexicans have a new president. In Mexico, they have a new president, and he's a leftist, Andre Manuel Lopez Obrador, right? And he's the guy who came into office, and he was going to stand up to Donald Trump and all this. The first thing he did, one of the first things he did, was he announced that he was not going to uh, continue to war with the cartels over there, the drug cartels, who basically own whole parts of the country. I mean, they own all the drug lanes and all that that's bringing drugs up, drugs up into our country. Uh, and, he, and Obrador said, I'm going to begin a peace process with organized crime organizations. It's like in, in uh, the Middle East. I'm going to begin a peace process with organized crime organizations and adopt models of transitional justice that guarantee the rights of victims. That's what, that's what he said. What does that sound like to you? It's like a white flag. He's surrendering. If you surrender to the cartels, you're going to be collaborating with the cartels. So what happened yesterday? Nine Americans were murdered uh, in, in Mexico, about 100 miles, uh, less than 100 miles from the U.S. border. Uh, they were uh, this, this, this kind of compound of conservative um, Mormons that was there. And they were moving from one compound to another to plan a wedding, and it was women and children. It was all, you know, because this is what happens, you know? If you're not dealing with reality, who's going to get hurt? It's going to be the women and children. If you distort reality, I'm telling you, I know it's bad for men. I know feminism has been a terrible thing for men. I know this whole uh, thing, this whole bigoted thing against whiteness. So we got to stop whiteness. I know that's been bad for people, but who is ultimately going to get hurt? It's always going to be the women. It's always going to be the children. It's going to be the women who get uh, who get basically written out of everything because only the women who can act like men will survive. It's going to be the children who were aborted, who are killed. And in this case, they were murdered in uh, an atrocity. I can't, I don't even want to describe it. I mean, they were shot. They were burned. One 13 year old rescued uh, after his mother was killed, took the remaining children to hide in the woods and then walked five hours to get help. Some of the other children were wounded. I mean, it is a a genuine, genuine atrocity. Uh, Donald Trump uh, tweeted: This is the time for Mexico, with the help of the United States, to wage war on the drug cartels and wipe them off the face of the earth. Look, this is a definitely a moment. This is a, no question a moment when the use of the military would be justified. The use of the you know we don't have a lot of power. What happens to Americans in other countries? That is one of the things that you know we have to deal with. And when people go to other countries, but this is a country on our border. It is a failed state on our border and it's getting worse because of its leftist governance. And, and by the way, you know, it's, it's almost, it's almost as if we want to, we might want to think about, this is a new idea. I know nobody's ever thought of this before, but we might want to think about building a wall on our border So, you know, Mexicans can't just flow in because some of them, obviously, there's a lot of lovely Mexican people, but some of these people are maybe not the best people to be letting into the country. Uh, You know, I mean, it is part of the leftist stupidity that when Donald Trump says this, he's accused of racism. They say, well, he just doesn't like brown people, you know. As if, as if. I mean, he gets a lot of votes from brown people. And it's as if we have no brown people here in America. We do. So what is what is the, the problem? Well, the problem is it's a failed state and a lot of drugs coming up. And by the way, we should think about our drug use as well. When you sit and smoke marijuana, take cocaine or whatever it is, uh, or opiates, remember, that's not a victimless crime. That is paying these people who are essentially, you know, running large parts of Mexico and now murdering Americans in their, in their country. I mean, this, this stuff is going to be underplayed by the left because it contributes to Trump's narrative. But Trump's narrative happens to be the truth. And, you know, everything about this is the other thing about everything about them is about silence. Everything, have you noticed this? I mean, they're locked away in their impeachment hearings. Now they're releasing, they say we're releasing transcripts, but they're releasing the transcripts that they want that build their case, that manipulate the press. I mean, you would think, you would think at this point, The press would have some shame and say we hate to be manipulated like this. But think again, my friends, think again. So now the whistleblower, you know, they don't uh, this this guy, Eric Charmella, uh, that, you know, we don't want to name him. I don't want to name Eric Charmella because that would be wrong (laughs) because he is the whistleblower. He's not just a leaking conspirator against the president from the deep state. He's a whistleblower. And as a whistleblower, we don't want to name Eric Charmella. So we won't. Uh, I will protect his name. But, um, but this is a big thing, you know, that, uh, you know, Adam Schiff back in September swore that this guy was going to testify. Do we have that clip of him? Yeah.
3: As Director McGuire uh, promised during the hearing, uh, that whistleblower will be allowed to come in and come in without uh, a minder from the Justice Department or from the White House to tell the whistleblower what they can and cannot say. We'll get the unfiltered testimony of that whistleblower. Now we are taking all the precautions we can to make sure that we do so, we allow that testimony to go forward in a way that protects the whistleblower's identity. Because, as you can imagine, with the president issuing threats like we ought to treat these people who expose my wrongdoing as we used to treat traitors and spies and we used to execute traitors and spies, you can imagine uh, the security concerns here.
0: So he was going to bring him out uh, under, you know, wraps, I guess. But then uh, it turned out that this unnamed Eric Sharmella uh, was was conspiring with Schiff. Essentially, he had come to Schiff before he went anywhere else. Had presented him with what he wanted to present him. They'd obviously gotten together and plotted out a way that they could sell this to the press after not being able to sell. All the other stuff, the Russia hoax and the, um, and the you know, whatever else they were doing, the, the obstruction of justice and Stormy Daniels and all the things that we're supposed to think are terrible things about Trump. And suddenly he comes out and it's not so much he's going to testify.
3: Given that we already have the call record, we don't need the whistleblower who wasn't on the call to tell us what took place during the call. We have the best evidence of that.
0: So now, Trump wants his name. Trump is agitating to have Eric Tromella's unknown name uh, released.
2: Well, the whistleblower gave a very inaccurate report. And as you know, certain of the media uh, released information about a man that they said was the whistleblower. I don't know if that's true or not, but what they said is he's an Obama person. Uh, it was involved with Brennan, Susan Rice, which means Obama. Uh, he, but he was like a big, a big uh, anti-Trump person, hated Trump, uh, and they, they said terrible things. Now, I don't know if it's true or not, but that was reported by some of the media, so you'll have to find out. I don't know why the media is not on it, because the whistleblower gave a very inaccurate report about my phone call. My phone call was perfecto. It was totally appropriate. But he gave a report, he or she, but according to the newspapers, it's a he. They think they know, they know who it is. You know who it is, you just don't want to report it. CNN knows who it is, but you don't want to report it. And you know, you'd be doing the public a service if you did.
0: So, so he, they, he says they don't want to report it. Rand Paul has been joining him in this. He says the whistleblower should be outed and listen to this reporter chasing him down the hall, basically accusing him of being the bad guy.
3: The whistleblower laws, though, they protect
0: a whistleblower. You know it's illegal to out a whistleblower.
3: Actually, you see, you got that wrong, too. No, we don't. We should work on the facts. Here's the thing is, the whistleblower statute protects the whistleblower from having his name revealed by the Inspector General. Even the New York Times admits that no one else is under any legal obligation. The other point, and you need to be very careful if you really are interested in the news, is that the whistleblower actually is a material witness Completely separate from being the whistleblower because he worked for Joe Biden. He worked for Joe Biden at the same time Hunter Biden was receiving $50,000 a month. So the investigation into the corruption of Hunter Biden involves this uh, whistleblower because he was there at the time. Did he bring up the conflict of interest? Was there discussion of this? What was his involvement with the relationship between Joe Biden and the prosecutor? Uh, I mean, <laughs> <laughs>
0: Well, at the at at least he was a good whistleblower. I mean, <laughs> he could carry a tune. But, you know, here's the thing. that the, the guy, who we won't name is Eric Charmella, but was working for John Brennan. Personally, I suspect that, he, you know, what he did was he went to Adam Schiff and say, oh, I've got something great. This is going to be great. This is great. And Adam Schiff uh, stepped in it and didn't realize until he was knee-deep in the big money that this is garbage. Because it obviously is garbage. And I think it's already blowing up in their face. And I think it will blow up in their face. Dan Bongino is... Uh, speculating, and it is speculation, that um, this unnamed guy, uh, Charmella, is the Charlie in the e- texts from Peter Strzok. Remember the FBI agents, Peter Strzok and Linda Page, uh, that they were saying that they had a guy in the White House and he was helping them out. So he may actually be the sort part, one of the sources of the Russia hoax. So this may actually be part of this deep state plot that's been going on since before the election, uh, it, which would be an amazing thing. So of course we should know. But the fact that the press is completely incurious is just another part of the silence, which, which the left makes people stupid, the stupidity that makes them hate the opposition, the hatred of the opposition that makes them carried away on their passions, those passions that I saw last night as they came and rioted outside my speech. This is a terrible thing to do, especially to children, especially to children. Women and children are always the ones who get hurt. We really need to start building a culture of our own. We we can't sit around all the time and complain about their movies, their universities, uh, their news, their news agencies. We have to start building our own. We've got to. And business people on the right have got to start thinking about this because you can't just complain about Twitter, uh, you know, being one sided. you got to build your own Twitter. All right. We've got the mailbag coming up. Come on over to dailywire.com. Oh, I'm so happy. I'm so happy. This is the best day of my life. <laughs> I suppose. What, what what happened? I liked Lindsay. What happened to sweet Lindsay with the mailbag? <laughs> there she is. That's what that's that's what I want to hear. That's coming up. But come to dailywire.com and subscribe. We've got so much great stuff, including this new app, which you really have to see to believe. It's just for subscribers. We've got a new all access level where you can talk to us at times and uh, ask us anything. And of course, you get another kingdom early, which will save you from one day of the Clavenless weekend. Before before you're, of course, utterly destroyed. Anyway, uh, come over, mailbag. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> it's getting just violent back there in the in the audio booth. But all right, from from Keith, um, what does dying to self mean? This is a Christian concept. Dying to self. I'm trying to figure this out. It seems all roads point to never doing anything fun ever again until you physically die. It seems like this to me. I want to play a racing video game after a long day's work. That's not focused on God. It's an idol because you look forward to it. Jesus will cast you to hell because he never knew you. You can't live both lives for self and God. I don't want to be a monk and I'm scared I can't enjoy anything anymore. I quit violent games and stopped listening to most music I used to listen to because they started to bother me. Shooting people violently in games and metal music stopped appealing to me a while ago since I've started this journey, but Now, even painting a model car or playing a race car game seems utter sin to me. Please help me understand this, and thank you for all you do. Well, you're welcome. Um, Sorry, Keith. Um, uh, Listen, pal, you're not doing it right. (laughs) <laughs> you're not dying to self properly. Uh, you're, you're actually not dying to self at all. What you're trying to do is be a good boy. You're trying to be a good guy so God won't be angry at you and so God will like you. And God already loves you. He, he died for you. He forgives you. Uh, that's not that's not what dying to self means. And, you know, the church, there's churches that are to blame for some of this. Uh, you know, Jesus said that his, his yoke is easy and his burden is light. And I think that that offends churches, some churches, uh, because they want your yoke to be be heavy so they can basically tell you what to do and tell you what you should be thinking and all this stuff. The words dying to self, as far as I can recall, never even a uh appear in the New Testament, uh, Jesus says you have to deny yourself, but he's talking about something else. And what he does say, and this is really important, what he does say is if you lose your life for his sake, you will find your life, okay? If you lose your life, you'll find your life. So you're not dying to self. You're actually uh, finding the self that you are supposed to be. You're losing a, a false self and finding a self you're supposed to be. Now look, it, it's, it may be a good thing when certain kinds of ugly music or ugly images uh, stop being appealing to you. There are kinds of, uh, of horror movies that I don't watch anymore that I just find too ugly. I'm sure that's God working inside me. I don't miss them because I just, you know, the minute I look at them, I think, no, this is not, how. I don't restrict myself. I don't tell myself I can't watch them. I just don't like them anymore because there's something about them that seems ugly and dirty to me, uh, especially especially if they're keyed off. Uh, the torture of women and make you feel attract, uh, you know, show you the women's bodies or whatever first and then destroy them. It's just something I, I just can't look at and I don't want to look at, but I don't sit around and say, oh, I can't look at that. I'm not going to do it. I just don't want to anymore. And that's a good thing. That is something, a change being worked on you by the spirit. That's a great thing. But the, dying to self is really about getting rid of the idolatry uh, that the self creates. Okay. Everything in life, People who don't have God think that life has no meaning, but life has nothing but meaning. Life is all, is all meaning. <clears throat> but what we do is we take the symbol of the meaning and we use it as the thing itself, and that is called idolatry. So, for instance, I was talking the other day about how money it is a symbol of value. It's a symbol of how much we want something. It's a symbol of how much, uh, you know, we're willing to pay for something. It is a symbol of all these things, and yet we come to love the money itself. Stop thinking about the value. That it represents. If we think about the value, the money may come. We may actually have the value. If you seek the kingdom of God, you may get all the other good things as well. But, but you will not lose your life. Uh, you will not lose uh, the worth of your life by attaching yourself to money, which is essentially worthless. Except. For what it means, sex is the same way. Sex is a way of communicating love, of creating uh, children. Uh, If you're using it, if you just start to worship the sex itself, it'll be really fun for a while. Uh, Just like money, all these things are fun for a while. But one day you wake up and you're nothing and you're nobody, and you've kind of become a small, twisted person. So what you're dying to is you're dying to the body's idolatry. The body is a natural idolatry uh, idolater. The flesh is a natural idolater, and you're dying to that. And you're letting the the Jesus of you be live inside you that Saint Paul says it's not me who lives it's Christ who lives within me, and you become that person it's not the the thing is it's not something you have to force yourself to do unless there are i guess there are things you have to give up you know you if you're an alcoholic if you're a drug addict if you're uh, any of the various kinds of addictions and all that you have to break those addictions, but God will help you do that, but it's just you start to find that as you give yourself more to God and as you pray more into god's uh, presence and try to build that relationship, you find yourself changing. The other thing is, is a lot of the things you take for you are actually other voices. The voices of your parents, the voices of your friends, the voices of society. Those are all voices speaking inside you. And slowly, as you deepen in in your relationship to Christ, those voices go away, and they're replaced by the voice of God. And that's what, uh, that is dying to self. People don't want to do it. They don't want to let go of that self. They built that self for a reason. They built that self to protect themselves, and they don't want to let go, and they're afraid. And when you open in your hand and let it go. It's a very beautiful thing. So what you're doing when you say I can't, you know, you enjoy painting model cars, making model cars. I enjoy playing violent video games. They don't bother me. They don't have the same effect on me that uh, horror, uh, that the kind of horror porn I was talking about before has on me. You know, it's it's do what you enjoy. If there's harmless things that you enjoy, please, please do them. I mean, otherwise you'll wind up uh, breaking basically and doing harmful things that you will also enjoy and that will destroy you. So I'm, I'm kind of teasing you when I say you're not dying to self-right, but that's the thing. You're trying to be a good guy uh, as opposed to actually letting God work inside you and tell you the things that you should get rid of and replace those voices in your head with his voice. Uh, okay, long answer, so I I'll have to move on quickly. Uh, Brian, I am a big fan of your daily commentary and analysis on politics and culture. Recently I started to listening to and watching Another Kingdom Season 2 on The Daily Wire. I'm a few episodes in and I'm hooked. Specifically, there was a horrifying creature made out of dead women in the cave of eunuch zombies. My question is, where do you get the inspiration to create creatures and characters such as that one, as well as others like it that are frightening and grotesque? Keep up the great work with Another Kingdom. I'm looking forward to getting season three. Uh, well, thanks, uh, Brian. You know, the, the, the thing is, writers always make up answers to this, but they don't really know. It's what you start with. You start with the fact that you have ideas. If I didn't have ideas, I wouldn't have said, I'm going to become a writer if I can only find some ideas, right? I had these stories I had to tell and I don't always know where things come from. A lot of times I can look back on them and they have deep meaning for me, both personal meaning and kind of philosophical meaning, but I don't always know that when I write them. Uh, I always think good fiction comes when you write a little bit ahead of yourself, a little bit ahead of what you know, and follow the images and follow the inspiration. I really do believe in inspiration, which is a breathing into you, that the things that you create come from outside you and they come into you and then you uh, bring them back through the filter of yourself. So I just don't know why that happens to some people and doesn't happen to other people. If it happens, everybody, nobody would ever do anything but tell stories like me. And where would we be then? Uh, So nobody really knows the answer to that question. From uh, Marie, I watch your show all the time and appreciate your vast wisdom and I'm hoping to receive some. I'm 30 years old. I've been married to my husband for six years and together for a total of 12 years uh, since I was 17. We're going through a tough time. Uh, We don't feel like we're getting what we need. He doesn't get enough affection from me. I'm not physically attracted to him. I was attracted to his intelligence, humor, and confidence, but he's a victim of severe child abuse, struggles daily with suicide and depression on top of daily pain from a back condition. He's never like therapists, uh, but he's he's taking medication with a psychiatrist. It's not working. Uh, He believes in God, but doesn't think humankind is very important. He would prefer to live in more brutal times when murder and killing were more of a regular thing so he could partake and bad people would get what they deserve. I needed a strong influence on my life when I was younger because I felt completely lost and he was there. As I become older, I feel like my values have grown away from his. This is a long letter, but it's actually worth reading. I want to have kids and he only reluctantly wants to do it. I don't feel fulfilled because I feel stuck in so much negativity and can't do the things that I enjoy because he won't do them. Uh, I'm not sure how to move forward. I know the right thing is to try and rely on marriage and work things through. I find it Uh, hard to be honest with him because he says things like I'm in it. I'm it for him. And he's going to kill himself without me Uh, on and on. Uh, This goes, please help. Uh, Boy, I'm going to give you some hard advice here, Marie. I think this marriage is over. Uh, And I don't say that lightly, as you know, I'm not a big fan of divorce, but it's even worse when there are children. And I think once you have children, you're going to be stuck in a mistake you made. Uh, God does not want you to be in a loveless marriage. He doesn't want you to be in a marriage that's not a marriage. Uh, And I always say adultery, addiction uh, and abuse are the three reasons uh, for ending a a marriage. And I do think this kind of falls under the category um, of a kind of addiction, a sort of uh, disease that this guy has. Uh, You made a mistake. And, um, and I think you ought to get, you know, slip out the back, Jack, basically. I mean, I think it's a hard thing to say. Uh, he's been, he's been a formative guy in your life. You've known him since you were 17. Now you're almost 30 and you've changed. And in the letter, I, I skipped over the line where it says you're, you're coming to God and he doesn't want to do that. Uh, it's not your responsibility. If he kills himself, that is not your responsibility. You're not, you're not, your job in life is not to keep him alive. Uh, your job is to find the person you're supposed to be with. It really sounds to me like you made a mistake. And I know that's, that's a hard saying, and I'm sure I'll get letters telling me that I'm unchristian for saying it. But every now and again, you do come upon a marriage uh, that's wrong, that's bad, that's not uh, that's not working, and you want to get out before those children come. Once you have children, those children will need a father. You do not want to have a divorce. Uh, you do not want to get locked into the marriage with children. That that's my, you asked. That's my advice. Uh, from David, you often say that you were afraid President Trump would rule more liberally and more towards a Democrat's standpoint, assuming an alternate timeline in which he would have. Do you think the media would be after him as much as they are now? Not as much, but still, they don't want re- their de- Democrats. They want Democrats. To win. So anything he did, see, a Democrat can get away with an occasional conservative thing. But a Republican, anything he does that's conservative is uh, basically um, racist or all the other words they throw at us that have no meaning anymore. Uh, so they would have been, they would have been a little better to him if he had done some liberal things, but I think his whole tone and his whole disregard for political correctness is really the thing that sets him off. They have no power over him. They can't uh, shame him. They can't bully him. And uh, they're so used to doing that with Republicans. They don't know what to do. And that's why they're fit to be tied. Um, from Ben, after hearing you recommend your own book, Werewolf Cop, so enthusiastically I got it and will begin reading it when I spoke to my wife about it and a couple and a couple of things you have said about your dislike for the title, she wanted me to ask you if you could retitle Werewolf Cop, Cop uh, what would you call it? I would call it Darkfall. Uh, last year, I think it was. We went and pitched it for TV and uh, the director who became interested in it, we couldn't sell it. The director who became interested in it uh, retitled it uh, Darkfall, uh, which is a a word, I believe, in the book itself. And I thought that was a great title and was thrilled (laughs) that he had come up with it. Uh, So that's what I would title it if I could publish it again. I'm really sorry no one stopped me from doing that because I I really do think it's a wonderful book. I think it actually is one of the best uh, popular uh, pieces of fiction for quite some time. And I think that, uh, I, I gave it a bad name. Um, all right, I'll do one more. Um, From Matthew, dear destroyer of falsehoods and wielder of truth, you answered one of my questions before and we're 100% correct, of course. Uh, So now I return with another. I'm 25 in my first year of university studying history, uh, but most of the girls here are 18 and 19. They are taking an interest in me, but I feel I would be taking advantage of a girl so much younger than myself, me being 25 and them being 18, 19. Uh, My question is, I'd like to know what the master of the multiverse himself thinks of a 25-year-old and a 19-year-old seeing each other. Uh, okay, that's a that's a really interesting question. I, I am I have two things to say about it. On paper, I'm fine with it. An 18, 19-year-old girl is um, is an adult. And you are not that much older that you can't do it on paper. However, the fact that you were telling me this, that you feel like you're taking advantage, means to me that you're seeing something in these girls that you think would be taking advantage of them uh, to date them. So what I would say is if you feel that way, don't do it. Because you're probably right. If you feel that way, if you feel they're not up to speed, if you feel you're taking advantage of them and and too far ahead of them, you know, find a girl at church. Find a girl who's up in the upper classes uh, of the university. An upper class girl is already 21, uh, you know, which is closer uh, to your age. Find girls other places if you feel that you are taking advantage of it. What I'm saying is I wouldn't pass a law against it. I don't think it's, uh, you know bad on the surface of it, but I think it can be bad. And I think something is telling you in particular cases that it's bad and you should not take advantage of somebody. You should not abuse uh, the power of being older, which is a power. Uh, on, on a younger person for your own gain. I mean, if you fall in love with somebody and you're willing to commit to them and marry them and all that stuff, then maybe that'll be a different situation. But if you feel you're abusing somebody, you probably are and you shouldn't do it. I got to stop. I'll be flying home and in, in the studio tomorrow, looking forward to seeing everybody there, especially so I can stop these guys from playing all that stuff <laughs> that they're playing and making me laugh. I'm Andrew Klavan. This is The Andrew Klavan Show. I will see you tomorrow. Jonathan Hay, and our supervising producers are Mathis Glover and Robert Sterling. Assistant Director, Pavel Wydowski. Edited by Adam Saevitz. Audio is mixed by Mike Cormina. Hair and makeup is by Jesua Alvera. Animations are by Cynthia Angulo. And our production assistant is Nick Sheehan. The Andrew Claven Show is a Daily Wire production. Copyright Daily Wire 2019.
2: On The Matt Wall Show, we're not just discussing politics. We're talking culture, faith, family,
3: all of the things that are really important to you. So come join the conversation.